morning that uh, is very simply entitled, Welcome to Lakeview. There would be a large number of folks that we have been meeting through the last few weeks that are attending Alpha, that are coming on Sunday mornings, that coming to church would be a little bit of a, an, a, a different, this would be a different setting. This has not been where folks have been for many years. And those of us who have been a part of Lakeview for many, many years, we can get comfortable and familiar. But remember the day when this was not a familiar setting for us. When we came here and we didn't know a lot of people and we were wondering what is really going on here. I've shared the story many times of the first time I ever came into the church that was really located back over that way somewhere. And the back of the building was way back over there sitting by the back of the building because I wasn't quite sure how weird this might get. I mean, I'd never been outside and grew up Catholic in New Orleans. I'd never ventured into too many buildings. And so I wanted to be safe if I needed to make a run for it. Um, but one of the things I wanted to make sure that we did here, and I think it'd be very good by way of those of us who have even been a part of the church for years, was to revisit just a few issues. I, I, I don't want to teach an entire series on the church and what the church is to be, but I thought it very important for you to hear from the rest of the pastoral team. Uh, and, you know, I have the privilege of leading the pastoral team, but I am not the only pastor here. And the ministries of these other men that you'll meet over the next few weeks is unique. It's significant. God has written some things into their lives and their hearts and reveal things to them that this church needs that you're going to get from them, that you're not going to get from me. And it's very important that our hearts recognize what God has done in forming the church. And so I just make this quick note, because when you build a building, it's very easy for the building to sort of establish the personality of who the church is. You know, well, where do you go to church? Well, you know, I go to Lakeview. You know, it's kind of the new building at the end of Veterans Highway. Oh, yeah, that church. Oh, watch that get built. Well, you know, that's true. That is where you drive your car. But when you read the New Testament, there was never a church identified by a location in the New Testament. Because they didn't own buildings. You know, they, they just, uh, this great move of God and people got saved and they began a relationship with Christ. And then they wanted to meet with others who knew God as well. And so when they did that, they just had to meet wherever they could. Somebody's home, somebody's backyard. They met down by the river. There was places in the temple where there was large enough spaces for them to gather there. And those were the places where they met. So how would you identify where you went to church in the New Testament? You couldn't give an address. Well, CJ quoted a verse last week. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, when, when Christ ascended on high, it says he gave gifts to men. And actually, he gave men as gifts to the church. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. That, that word pastor there is the word in the, in the Greek language for shepherds. God gave shepherds. And the way in which a, a group of folks were identified... It was the same way that sheep were identified. Sheep were identified by the flock belonging to a shepherd. If you visited the edges of a town, you'd find many, many flocks. And all kinds of sheep would be sort of in proximity to each other. At one point, there would be a shepherd who would stand up and move his flock to another pasture. And he would use some pet names and he'd have a little call that he'd do and a little noise he would make. And those sheep knew his voice. And out of all the ones on this countryside, 35 of them would get up and follow him out of the town. See, they, they were identified as a flock by the shepherd who was leading them. 
And, you know, if we're going to understand the church, I think we need to be careful that we don't understand it by its association with a building. As much as we love the place God has given us to meet. But in the New Testament, the church was identified by those that God had given as gifts to lead and care for the church. And so I thought it was very important as a lot of new folks are coming in and and getting to know the church. That the best way for you to get to know the church is to get to know the heart of those who are leading the church. That God has put in our hearts shepherding care for those that are going to be gathering at 5885 Florida Lee for years to come. So that's what this series is about. I've asked the other guys to to really just take a moment to reflect in their own heart what burden and passion has God awakened and been stirring into their heart to communicate to the church at this time. Now, I did confess to them, I would hate an assignment like that. Like here, you got one shot to say something. It's like you don't want to say one thing. You want to say 25 things. So what this isn't is, it's not an exhaustive series. It's not everything that these guys carry in their hearts. Uh, It's just an opportunity for you to hear their hearts in a significant category of ministry that we hope will touch your life if you spend any amount of time as a part of this church in the months and years to come. So that's really what we're hoping to accomplish. And my assignment today is to, uh, not this isn't, I'm going to give myself a little bit of freedom here. This would not be probably the first most important thing I would go after, but I do think it's a very first and most important thing. And, And really, if you walk through the front door of the church, it's what you come in contact with first. Uh, now, depending on what parking lot you park in, you may not have even noticed this. But on your way in, this plaque is in the sidewalk on the way in. Um, that's actually a picture of it. And it's from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. So if you have your Bible, you can open there and look with me. Or you can read it off the plaque there this morning. Because this would be, I think, the heart of what we want to communicate to those who are coming to some place called Lakeview Christian Center. And in the beginning, you don't know much of anything about this place. You know it's a church. It's got a cross on top of it. doesn't look like a church, but it is a church. It's got a cross on it. But, you know, what, what's going to be the element that you connect with when you come here for the first time? Well, I think this is what we would want somebody considering walking through this door for the first time to come in contact with. And that would be the invitation of God himself. And probably many folks have come, whether it's some folks from door hangers, some people have come from friends and neighbors and relatives who have invited you. Uh, But what we would want you to feel the greatest invitation from would be from God himself. By the time people get into your life and say anything to you, God has long, long been at work. Even today, I'm trusting that what you'll hear today may touch an aspect of your life. But, you know, before you ever came here, the reason why any of the words that you'll hear today in Scripture or anything said or any song sung, the reason why it would connect with you is because God's already been at work. Kind of installing Velcro in your heart. You know that other side of that stuff? So when he speaks to you in this moment, it's going to stick in your heart. God's already been at work. So you are here today on God's invitation. So let's read Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says, Come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Lord, help us to arrive at that destination. Lord, in this world, a soul that is at rest is a rare commodity. But yet here you are on the pages of your word, offering it to us today. Lord, we don't want to leave here and let that promise stay as ink on a page. But we want it to stick in our hearts. We want it to go with us into Monday and Wednesday and the rest of our lives. So Lord, thank you for this word. Bring it to life in our hearts today by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just look at two very clear things that are in this passage, very simple things that are in this passage. Uh, There is a problem that gets identified in this passage, and there is a solution that gets identified in this passage. And both are very clear, but they get a lot of mileage in our hearts. This problem, which I put in your notes, would be common to man, and it would be a restless soul. Right? You know what your soul is, right? It's, it's not... It's not music. It's not a beat. That that soul is that aspect of you that you you can't touch it. But when something does touch it, it's like your nerves get touched. You know that thing? I've always had the adage of I'd rather have a a broken arm than a broken heart. You know, when when your heart is broken, you know, can you go to the doctor? Can you take a pill? Can, Can something fix that on the outside? But no, but there is something that needs to get healed in you. There's that immaterial aspect of who we are that really in the deepest element of who we are, we are soulish spiritual beings. And so we have the capability of being restless in our souls. I put some thoughts here that are not my own. They're highlighted in your outline. So a man named Ralph Barton was a world famous cartoonist back in the day when cartoons were, they were cutting edge, right? In the late 1920s, You would not have had uh, internet and you would not have had TV. Images just weren't floating around everywhere. So if you drew cartoons, you could capture an audience. Ralph Barton was a man who captured a wide audience, was world-renowned, but interestingly committed suicide at 39 years old in 1931. And he put this on his suicide note. I have had few difficulties, many friends great successes. I've gone from wife to wife. He actually had four wives and from house to house, visited great countries of the world. But I'm fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours a day. This is a man with a lot on the outside that seemed to be working, but on the inside where people don't have access to see a progress report that's going on in the heart, he was in turmoil. So this is what a restless soul looks like. That sense of inner stirring that doesn't seem to settle itself. A lack of peace. Fear on the inside of our lives. And maybe some of us have been in touch with some of these things. I mean, you watch the news, the economy is going down, jobless rates are about to come out. Maybe the election didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And fear begins to enter into your heart and your soul becomes 
restless. Or, or maybe, maybe you're a person who's prone to nervousness about relationships. You know, not all of us kind of bump into the same issues. But are you one of those folks who just, you're just nervous about people? It might even be difficult for you to be here this morning. Because people settings are nervous settings for you. You, you walk into a meeting and it's, it's an awkward sense on the inside. Or you're a person who's always been worried about what other people are thinking about you. And, and you might even actually be thinking that other people are thinking about you. Now, that would be news for you to find out that they're probably not. That'd be the best news you'd ever hear. Um, most people who have soul issues, they have their own soul issues and they don't have time to worry about yours. So they're really bugged by their own life. But we think, you know, oh, that person looked at me a certain way or they didn't look at me a certain way. What does that mean? You read into everybody's activity. Uh, you know, you're a young person here, you're in school and you're trying to fit in somewhere and going to school. Can you remember, I mean, guys who were out of school, remember the days of going to school? Oh, just the nervousness. First day of school, first day in a school. You know, oh, you just, how am I going to fit in? How am I going to be accepted by people? Well, listen, it doesn't have to be really that traumatic for you to have a restless soul. How about if you're just here today and you're bored with life? Just bored. I mean, in this society, we get bored very quickly. You know, we were at Doc Konzelman's funeral the other day and listening to her daughter, Linda, talk about her life. And, you know, she said something that Gina and I talked about afterwards. She said that, that Dot and her husband, I think, went on one vacation in their life. And, and Gina was remembering that, you know, that kind of sounds like her grandparents, you know, didn't venture far, didn't have a life that had lots of color and dynamic and travel and stuff in it. And, and both of us were thinking, wow, you know, we are much more ambitious than that. <laughs> you know, I, I think we'd just be bored with that. Wouldn't you just be bored? It's like, I gotta, I gotta go somewhere. I gotta do something. Let's go, let's go do something. And I, we can get bored with stuff. You can be here today and you're just very bored with your marriage. And listen, at some point, you know, you've kind of lived long enough with this person. And, you know, the adventure, well, you know, kind of been there, done that. Most of everything, been there, done that. We've talked about that before. And you can just get bored with a lot of things. You get bored with your life and you get restless. And all of a sudden, you're just not at peace in your heart. See, this is, this is what a restless soul looks like. And in these verses is the remedy for a restless soul. J.C. Ryle is a preacher from the 1800s. He says in his commentary on that verse, he says, These are, there are few ver- passages in the four Gospels more important than this. There are few which contain in so short a compass so many precious truths. May God give us an eye to see and a heart to feel their Value. I love the way he says that. May God give us an eye to see and a heart to feel their value. Now, this could be advice from God that you and I this morning could very easily walk right past. This is a living word from God. God's going to address the condition of the restless soul. And I put a question in your outline. Have you lived long enough to realize that some things in your life were far more valuable than you realized at the time? And how many of you are, have revisited advice from your dad later in life? Right? Realizing in that moment when it was spoken to you, you didn't have an ear to hear anything that was being said. Now, now, I'm saying this because I want you to realize this morning the exact same thing can happen. 
Right? We get ambitious in our life. We get focused right now. I'm about this and our whole life becomes about this thing right here. That's, what, that's who I am right now. And people are talking to us about stuff. God's bringing revelation. Your dad's saying something. But I'm about this right now. And so we just dismiss those things. right? Because this is all I am right now. And see, it's our ambitions and our little bitty narrow pool of knowledge that make us take great advice from God and just walk right past it. Till much later on, we realize... Wow, it really would have been a smart thing to buy property in St. Tammany Parish. (laughs) Who would have known, right? Well, this morning, here's what I don't want to do this morning. I don't want to talk to the Sunday morning version of you. Right? You know who I'm talking about? That Sunday morning version of you? The one you bring here when you set all your problems aside and you put on a smile. Right? And you're okay. How are you doing? I'm all right. It's good. Uh, I, I want to talk to you three days ago. That's who I want to talk. I want to talk to you two weeks ago. I want to talk to who you were from May to August. Okay, can I talk to that person for a moment? Can you put them on the line? <laughs> because that season, and we get these little interruptions along the way where, oh, no, you know, I'm restless soul. Not this morning. But, but what about then? Do you know what I'm talking about then? Do you know how you were feeling about your life then? All right, well, go back there because uh, May is coming again. Right? Last week, we'll be here next week again for you. And these truths are not ones that we want to glide past and forget. Well, what is this restless soul problem? Well, in this passage, some words get used here that help us a little bit. They describe a, a sense of laboring in life and being heavy laden. The word for labor, the original Bible was written in the Greek language in the New Testament. And the word that was used there, it's a very interesting word. It's the word kapos. It has to do with a beating or the weariness that's caused by being beaten. It's to be worn out, weary or faint. You can translate this verse to say, Come to me, all of you who are tired from carrying heavy loads. And then then it goes further. It almost adds another image to it when it says those who are heavy laden. The word there was a a description of what a ship looked like when it was weighted down with cargo. So here's the picture of our lives. When we begin to carry life around and it begins to be weighty and heavy and it sits on our hearts and it sits on our lives and we begin to feel the weight of it. Listen, you'll know what it's like when you start hearing things come out of your mouth. Complaining when it comes out of your mouth this could be a, a good starting point to recognize. Is your soul restless, laboring under the weight of life? But it's most obvious when you start saying things like, I'm just tired. You know? You're having a conversation with your friend, let your guard down a little bit. I'm just tired. Or, I am so tired of this. Right? Ever, ever say that? Whatever this is for you in that moment? Or, uh, that's it. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, what, what are you saying in that moment? It's like, well, I've been under a load of life and I've been walking with it. And finally this thing, it was just too much. I finally just snapped. Well, it's an indication of the condition of the soul. There's this restlessness. There's a lack of rest going on on the inside of us. In your outline, I said this restlessness is the condition created when sin is operating in the soul. Now, I want to draw some thoughts from 
Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God. I highly recommend the book. I think we do have a few copies in the bookstore. We always can get more. But he brings some wonderfully helpful insights into this condition that gets in us because sin is operating in us. Remember, sin came into the world from the very beginning as soon as man departed from God's plan. So sin is trafficking in God's plan. So in your soul, there is sin present. And it's making a mess of things. And it's causing you to feel life and experience life a certain way. Look at this thought from Timothy Keller. He says, sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Sin is seeking to become oneself or to get an identity apart from him. Everyone gets their identity, their sense of being distinct and valuable from somewhere or something. All right, let me just hold on to that thought for a second. Everyone gets their identity, their sense of being distinct and valuable from somewhere or something. Everyone does. Right? Where, where do you get yours? Where, I mean, this is very important. You're going to find out a lot about your soul here. Where do you get your sense of identity from in your life? You know, what was it that you'd like to be identified as you know you can kind of begin to fish around a little bit in your goals and aspirations and how you spend your time and what makes you comfortable where you like to go and where you don't in your life and i, I love the way he says this this is very helpful their sense of being distinct and valuable right there is in us this little thing operating that we like Distinction. If it's on terms that we prefer, we don't like to be distinct for the wrong reasons. Nobody wants to be caught in the room wearing their underwear. It's like, wow, that would set you apart, wouldn't it? But you don't want that. That's the nightmares that you have. But you want to be distinct about something. You don't want to blend into the scenery all the time. There are some category in your life where you want to be distinct. And it'd be very important for you to know about that category. See, there, there is this element in us uh, something that I, I would call identity-driven happiness. It's like, you know, happiness is real small if, if whatever it is that we're trying to be distinct in and identified as is too far away from us. But the closer we get to it, the bigger happiness becomes and the happier we get because whatever it is that we're trying to be that we found value in, we're becoming it. And you either, I don't know how you measure that, depending on what your issue is. You may measure it by your own opinion. You may measure it by your bank account. You may measure it by the applause of people. I've got enough people applauding me now. I'm, I'm getting happier and happier. The more people paying attention to me, treat me a certain way, this is going good. Because I want to be distinct. Listen, you'd much rather have a photograph that's within 30 feet of you rather than just the Goodyear blimp shot of Tiger Stadium. Yeah, that's me. I'm somewhere in the end zone. You know, no, you want to be distinct. You want to be noticed for something because it brings significance to our lives, but it also brings a snare to our souls. Listen to what Timothy Keller says next. Human beings right in the middle of that paragraph, human beings were made not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and build their very identities on him. Anything other than this is 
sin. Now, how many of us have that as our definition for sin? Building our lives on anything else than God is sin. Right, what's interesting today in today's culture, if you're allowing the culture to give you your theology, that would not be the culture's definition for sin. Something is really heinous and sinful if it's a violation of someone else. It's, it's seldom got anything to do with God. You know, if you're a murderer and you take somebody else's life, that's the worst thing that somebody could do. Social ills that are going unaddressed get people's... I mean, you can get up... And, you know, this, this country needs to be addressing issues of poverty and, and AIDS. And, and you know what we do. And murder is wrong. But, but the thing that should be the most offensive for a universe created by God is when the universe displaces God. Not when it mistreats its, each other. And so this would be very different for us to traffic in the thought of our greatest sin is always a sin that's against God. Not the one that's against each other. But against God. Look what Mr. Keller says next. He says, according to the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just the doing of bad things, but the making of good things into ultimate things. You read that again. This, this is so helpful. And please, we give you notes so you can walk out of this meeting, get alone with God at some point this week and say, God, help me understand what this is saying to my soul. According to the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just the doing of bad things, but the making of good things into ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship to God. Now, for most of us sitting in this room today, the battle in that ground is not going to be over whether or not to become a drug dealer or not. It's not about whether or not I'm going to shoot my neighbor who keeps cutting too much of my grass when he cuts the grass. You know, that's not where we're going with this. Turning things into ultimate things are usually the greatest temptation for us to do it is in the good things that God has put in our lives. Good things. I think I put a list in your outline there. Things like a talent. God's given you a talent. And it's very easy for that talent to become, well, that's, that's who I am. That's what makes me distinct, you see. You know, you get your average basketball players and you got me. And, you know, if you put me on a basketball floor, the attention will go to me because they're average and I'm not. Or whatever your talent may be, it's going to be the area for you to be very tempted to become distinct in. Uh, ladies, it could be shoes. I mean, I, it gets crazy, doesn't it? You know, I'm not, I've heard women say this. I'm known for my shoes. I mean, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, you, the, the, the applause is deafening. <laughs> uh, okay, I hope you'd aim a little higher. Uh, but, but, you know, here's God, you know, bringing things into our lives. Marriage, what a wonderful gift marriage is. But it can become an ultimate thing for you. If you're a single person, it can become an ultimate thing. If you're a married person, it can become the ultimate thing in your life. Job or career. Your health. I mean, health is an important thing. But you know, it can become an ultimate thing. It can become this obsessive ultimate thing in your life. Being appreciated or admired. 
is a, a terrible, terrible trap. There's nothing wrong with somebody appreciating us, but when it becomes something that we begin to pursue and desperately want, it's, it's going to create restlessness in your soul. Now, when these things, any of these things, become ultimate things, restlessness, restless soul syndrome, if we could call it a name, goes to work. And you begin to labor in these areas, whatever it is. And hopefully God's making real to you, whatever it is that you're going to be needing to deal with. Because as soon as that becomes an ultimate thing, the next thing that's going to happen to you is fear is going to come into your life. Because now you're going to begin to be afraid of losing it. Right? This thing's important to me. This is, this is my life and my good and my happiness are bound up in this thing. What if I ever lose it? What if this happens or... What if the finances do this? Or what if people feel differently? What if I were to really be known about this hidden area in my life? So fear begins to operate in your life. As soon as you identify an ultimate thing, ambition begins to operate in your life. Now you want that thing. You want it bad. And you're going to treat people a certain way. You could be one of those ambitious people that walks all over people. Or you could be one of those ambitious people who butter everybody up. Right? All that, listen, all that's technique going on in our lives, right? It's where what I'm ultimately about is getting that. Whatever I've got to do to get that, I'm going to do that. And so that's operating in your soul. You wake up, the alarm clock goes off, and your soul awakens you to the ambition of the day is to get about the ultimate thing that's in your life. Well, this is a miserable, miserable way to live. And ambition eventually gives way to comparison Jealousy. You can't stand the fact that somebody else is in your distinct category. Can you imagine? Person comes along and they're better than you are at this. They get more attention than you do. The goal you had of arriving as a distinct person in that category of your life, you're not going to get it now. How do you feel about that person right now? Got some real heart problems. See, this is all going on in our soul. It's some ugly looking stuff. Look at this thought from theologian Thomas Oden. He says, suppose my God is sex or my physical health or the Democratic Party. If I experience any of these under genuine threat, then I feel myself shaken to the depths. Guilt becomes neurotically intensified to the degree that I have idolized finite values. Suppose I value my ability to teach and communicate clearly. If a clear communication has become an absolute value for me, a center of value that makes all my other values valuable, I know that's a tongue twister, but go back and read that carefully. Because this is where the trap gets set. When something becomes an ultimate thing, everything else becomes dependent upon it. So you almost can't get happy about anything else in your life if the ultimate thing isn't going well. He says, then if I fail in teaching well, I'm stricken with neurotic guilt. Bitterness becomes neurotically intensified when someone or something stands between me and something that is my ultimate value. Good Timothy Keller's thought right below that. If anything threatens your identity, you will not just be anxious, but paralyzed with fear. If you lose your identity through the failings of someone else, you will not just be resentful, but locked into bitterness. 
If you lose it through your own failing, you will hate or despise yourself as a failure as long as you live. Listen, this is so helpful. So helpful. Because it unlocks the mystery of our soul. See, some of us, and what I hope God will do for us today, is take us to a soul diagnosis. And perhaps what you're only going to be able to identify is, why am I so angry? Right, see, we can identify anger long before we can identify the malady that's causing it. Why is jealousy in my heart? Why, why am I so fearful? Right, that's a restless soul's condition. Now, the question to discover is, how'd that get that way? Why am I that way? Now, you know, I, I applaud anybody who just decides, all right, I'm just deciding from now on, I'm not going to be an angry person. I'm so mad about this. I am not going to be angry anymore. You know, well, that's great. I, 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 I'd, I'd rather hang around you if you're determined not to be that way. Uh, but it doesn't get to the heart of the thing. You know, it's like you can you know, try and on a, you know, a gas well fire, you can spray water on that thing all you want, but you, you're going to have to snuff that. You're going to have to deprive it of oxygen to get it to go out. And so there's some deeper heart issues here that are very important. Look at this thought. The problem with man seldom lies in his things, but rather in what has become his ultimate things. When the wrong things become ultimate things, man loses his freedom and takes on a yoke of slavery. This is what's happening in our soul. If you're not familiar with these farming descriptions in the Bible, a yoke in the Bible... It was a a wooden piece that was worn by two oxen. When they went to go plow the fields, they would place a yoke across both of them. And it caused them to team together. So you were both able to go somewhere and accomplish more, but you were also shackled to something else. So wherever Mr. Big Cow next to you is going, you're going too. And so the Bible uses these descriptions all over the place. And it says some great things. Where Jesus says, it was for freedom that I have set you free. Therefore, do not be entangled any longer to a yoke of slavery. Now, this would be where this message does flirt with a core value in my heart. Uh, If there is something that is burning in my heart, at this point, just in my walk and in caring for the church... It has been, for the last few years, a growing passion for the freedom in our lives for which Christ has set us free. You guys will remember, if you've been in the church for a little while, I think it was about a year and a half ago, we did a series on freedom. We talked about jail cell issues that are in our lives that control us. And I think I shared with you at that time that that series was in my heart for a good year and a half before we ever shared it. And, and it has not departed because, see, I, the, the primary thing that would float to the top for me the most is, is, what is it that magnifies Christ? Well, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. If I walk around one day, one day wearing chains as a Christian, one day, and I diminish the glory of God being seen. Listen, the one thing that Christians ought to be experiencing is, is, is chains falling off of our lives. You know, turn around and look and find yokes that have been discarded and we've moved on. 
We're just not people who are living controlled by these issues year after year after year, controlled and under the influence of something that we can't get free. What's that song we sing? Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. I love that verse. So if I, have a, if I have a passion for something as a pastor, if you spend any amount of time in this church, I would hope that what you'd be able to say is over time you turned around behind you and you found yoke after yoke of slavery. Things that enslaved your soul and robbed you of the joy that God intended for you to walk in this world, even in this fallen world where sin will never go away until we go to be with him. But yet freedom is supposed to be coming ever increasing. Well, that's the problem. Now, what's the solution? Look at the solution in this verse. Clearly identifies these symptoms of being under the weight and laboring under life. Here's the solution. Come to me. Come to me. I just want to look at those three words for a moment. The invitation of God to solve restless soul syndrome that many of us are going to have maybe dormant in you this morning. You know, we don't try to bring restless soul syndrome with us to church. Pick it up when we go home. Pick it up when we go to work tomorrow. But it's dormant right now. Well, the thing God wants to do to rescue us from that is he says, come to me. Now, some implications in this invitation to come. Come implies movement from where we are to a different place. Coming to God implies moving from wherever it is that we are. And, and we are where we are for a number of reasons. Yes, there are circumstances and some people have involved us. But listen, we've made a lot of choices along the way in life. Because we're fighting for some things and we want to be in a particular place. We want our life to be a certain way. And so we kind of are where we are. Listen, not because everybody else has made choices. But because we have made many, many choices. And so that's the difficulty. See, I've got a lot invested in my location. I put a lot of hope in this place. And now Jesus is saying, come. Now this is what we, what we want to do to God is we want to turn around and tell him, well, why don't you come? <laughs> why, why don't you come where I am? I kind of like where I am. I kind of like you too. Now don't get me wrong, God. I'd love for you to be a part of what's going on in my life. See, I already have my ultimate thing list. I've got it going on, baby, and I'm making some progress in this thing. Now, listen, I know I was miserable about it last week. I wanted to kill people three weeks ago, after, and then I spent a whole year depressed over them last year. But right now, I'm feeling good about them. So, Jesus, you come. You come on. That's not how God operates. See, the invitation of God is for you to come from wherever it is you are and come to him. Now, listen, if you refuse... If you refuse to come, then I can tell you this right now. Your life will not change. It cannot change. Kind of the old saying, you keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting what you got. You don't like certain things about your life? It's very much location related. You've wanted certain things and you have a God who's coming to you saying, well, well come to me. Well, if I come to you, though, I'm going to have to give something up. And I don't know if I want to do that. That is the problem. Do you know why many people don't come to Christ? I mean, initially come to him. And why many Christians who have come to him for salvation don't come to him for many other things. It's because we like what we got. Even if it's miserable, you know? 
we can fall in love with whatever it is that we've been educated, taught, fall in love with. And we want that thing. And in reality, we don't seem to be able to come. I just can't, I can't give this up. You know, I remember the story that was told about some folks who had settled on this island. And they had this problem on this island with these little bitty monkeys. They had these tiny monkeys that were just a nuisance. And so they had decided, you know, we've got to get rid of these monkeys. But you couldn't catch these suckers. I mean, they'd bounce from tree to tree. You couldn't get them in a net. You could never get close enough to them. But these monkeys had an Achilles heel. They loved these little beans that the settlers had. And so they came up with a plan because they'd come steal the beans. They took a coconut and they hollowed a, put a hole in the coconut. They chained the coconut to a tree, to the base of a tree, and they put the beans inside. They made the hole just big enough for the monkeys to stick their hand inside. But of course, once the monkeys closed their hands around the beans, they couldn't get their hand out. See, and the only way for them to go free was to give up the beans. But the monkeys wouldn't give up the beans. So they captured one after another after another. So that's how a lot of us look. Right? Somewhere along the way in our life, we got convinced that the beans are worth having. We got Jesus standing at a distance saying, come to me. <laughs> and we're like this. I don't know, I'd, I'd love to come, but <laughs> I'd have to give up the beans. <laughs> So there we are, chained to the base of the tree, holding on to our beans, loving Jesus. I mean, you know, it's not as though people don't come to Christ because they're offended by Christ, right? I mean, the, the, the number one reason for people not to come to Christ is not because they really don't believe in him. I don't even know if he really existed. Oh, you know, there's a handful of people from Mars who are really like that. But for the most part, listen, people won't come because they don't want to give up the beans, man. That's the truth. But what freedom awaits you? See, because those beans are terrorizing your soul. Whatever your little beans are, everybody who's living with you would love for you to change your diet. (laughs) They'd love for you to acquire a taste for something else in life because you just ain't no fun to be around. (laughs) Well, who is included in this incredible invitation? Come to me, all who weary Labor and are heavy laden. All. Really? All? Yeah. All. You mean not just the ones who've got a really cool life resume? You know, the ones who've kept it together, the ones who didn't do that. Whatever that is for you. The ones who don't have that shameful background that you don't want even want anybody else to know about. You hate the fact that maybe your husband knows or all. Come to me. All. Listen, you don't, you don't have to have it together to come to Christ. He gives you the invitation right where you are. Now, here's the reality. Anybody who is weary, heavy laden, this is not a pretty crowd. All right? I mean, those, those sound like such victim, victimized sort of a words. You're weary, you're laboring, you're heavy laden. Okay? You are also damaged frustrated, angry, jealous, bitter, hard to be around, depressed, right? This is not a pretty crowd. It's a difficult bunch to hang around with. 
that Jesus is saying, come, you come to me. You who just bit that person's head off because they're messing with your ultimate thing some way. You who are fearful and scared to death, right? You ever see fear in a tiger's face? You want to be in a room with that tiger, right? You can tell, you can look on their face and you can see there's fear in their face, but they'll tear you to pieces, right? Welcome to tiger land. <laughs> you get fear going on in somebody's life and they are not safe for you to stay in the room with them. They're going to say something to you, do something to you. This is not a pretty crowd that Jesus turns and says, come, yeah, you in that condition, you come to me. You're laboring under this and heavy laden in your life. Now, where, where are we going to come? I put in your notes. You got options on where you're going to come. Our society thinks education is the rescue all to, to everybody on the planet. If you just educate people right, you can fix the restless soul problem. Make sure we've got our education system going. Make sure you get a good education. Just tell people about education. Well, that's not who you're invited to come to. Come to the right crowd. You can just fit in. Go to that new school. If I could just fit in with these people. Come to the right political candidate. Oh, man, just the right person would get elected. Listen, revisit past presidential elections. And I'm sure you were on either side of the issue every time someone got elected. Some people thought that's the right one. Some people thought it wasn't the right one. Now tell me, from where you're standing right now, did the right one fix anything? <laughs> right? To use a, a Ronald Reagan line, are you better off now <laughs> than you were eight years ago? No. I'm not talking about, you know, forgive me for getting political. I'm not talking about trade policies and how much money you have to pay the government. Listen, this is an incredible country. You want to go complain? Go, go live somewhere else and see how thrilled you are with what you get over there. All right, so we don't like some of those policies. I'm talking about that which magnifies the goodness of God. Tell me that this country is better off now than it was eight years ago. It is not. It is much worse off now spiritually than it was eight years ago. So I don't know what your opinion is about who's going to do what, but don't come to that candidate to find peace for your soul. He doesn't have it. He can't offer it to you. Maybe a higher paying job can do it. Maybe a better, better neighborhood. Why not come there? My life will change. Maybe come to therapy. That could fix you. How about come to church? Well, that sounds close. Not quite. I came to church for years. You can come to this church for years. And your soul can be as restless as it ever has been. What's the invitation? Come to me. Jesus Christ says, come to me. And then you find this inscription. I'll just highlight a couple of passages. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. When you wake up in the morning and your soul is restless, right, we get awakened in the morning by a one-year-old. Every morning we get awakened by a one-year-old. He used to be a big fat crybaby. Now he is a hungry one-year-old. So when he wakes up, he is all business and you, you can't negotiate with him. There's no helping him. He just wants a bowl of oatmeal. That's what he wants. His soul thirsts, right? 
That's what you and I look like. See, when, when, you, when they're little like that this morning, I go get him out of his crib. I mean, he buckets of tears. I'm trying to be nice. It's early in the morning. I'm so glad to see you. Hey, ah! I mean, his soul thirsts. It brings fresh definition to what thirsting looks like. Thanks for the demonstration. Here, solve this child's problem, honey. That's going on inside of us, right? It's just that we just don't look quite like Drew does at one we look a little different. You know, we're, we're 40 something. You know, we just look a little different when our soul thirsts. But the Bible says, my soul thirsts for you. What if I decide to go somewhere else? Your soul is still going to thirst for him. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you. In the watches of the night. Psalm 62 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Psalm 73 would be one of my favorite psalms in all the Bible. Whom have I in heaven but you? John Piper asks a very interesting question in his book, God is the Gospel. If you could have everything about heaven that you know about it, no sickness, no disease, no sin, rescue from all the difficulties here, delights, streets of gold, but not God, would you want to go there? Now, really, many of us, if we were honest, would say, well, you know, wouldn't be as good as it was, but it'd be cool. That should not be. See, because your soul doesn't thirst for streets of gold. Your soul is not longing for no tears. Your soul wants God. That's what it's after. It wants to return to God. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God's my deal. He's what I'm after. He's what I want more than anything else in my life. And listen, does this mean that God doesn't want you to have anything else in your life? God doesn't want you to be married. He doesn't want you to have money. He doesn't want you to have a career. He doesn't want you to be successful. He doesn't want you to have taste and preferences. Is that what that means? No, all those things are good. The problem with them is when they become ultimate things. None of those things can be ultimate things in our hearts. Now, as we close here, here would be my passion as a pastor. It's not for you to come to church. That might sound peculiar, right? Isn't that the goal of all pastors, to get people to come to church? No. It's for you to come to him. Because I know this, as I said earlier, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in people's life in this church. You can come to church and not come to him. And so if at the end of your life, having been in this church... You stand up and you say, Keith, every time the doors were open, man, we were in church. Me and my family, we were in church. But you didn't come to him. Then we as pastors have failed you terribly. And please don't, don't exempt yourself from this. I would have a concern that for many of us who, you know, we've been Christians for many years. Listen, if there are ultimate things that have begun to become more important to you in your life than God then 
please listen to me. You are not coming to him. You are coming to church still. It's great to see you. But you're not coming to him. Listen to this thought from John Piper. Preachers can say dozens of true and wonderful things about the gospel and not lead people to where the gospel is leading. People can hear the gospel preached or read it in their Bibles and not see the final aim of the gospel that makes the good news good. What makes all the event of Good Friday and Easter and all the promises they secure good news is that they lead us to God. And when we get there, it is God himself who will satisfy our souls forever. Now, you know, if, you, if you're kind of new to the church, I just want to share something with you right now. Though, that what we would do on a fairly regular basis. Preaching is an, intended to be different than reading the Bible. It's intended to be different than a conversation with a friend. Preaching by God's design is intended to mess with you. I don't know how else to put it. It's intended to sort of find a hidden portal into your heart that you thought you had shut all the doors off. And there's this one little thing that the prod can be put in and, and it gets in there and it, it gigs you. And it's God, by his spirit, taking ridiculously simple words and delivering them into our soul and poking in us. Now, after that happens, here would be the great danger. We got poked and we went home. We hugged some people on the way out. But that's, that's kind of where it went. Okay, just to give you a little bit of a sense of, you know, what kind of a church are we trying to be? Well, the Word of God is living and active, the Bible says. So when God gigs us, it's, He's on fertile ground in that moment. He is, he is standing in a place that matters to us in our hearts. Now, before you move off of that ground, God wants to deal more deeply in your soul. So here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit get personal with you. Right? I'm not going to ask you to, to come forward. And sometimes we will. Sometimes we'll invite people to, to come forward. We'll pray for them. However God directs us to do that. But this morning, I, I don't want you to be worried about, well, well, well I, I want you to be focused on whatever it is that God's been gigging you in your heart about. What are the ultimate things going on in your life? But I want you to invite God to do that. See, it's one thing to listen to words. It's another thing to receive from God by faith. Now, remember, what, this is why you won't want to receive from God right now. Because if I've got to receive from God, I'm going to have to let go of some beans. I don't know that I want to do that. Well, that will be the issue. I can't do that for you. No one can do that for you. Your wife who just elbowed you, she can't do that for you. <laughs> but God has brought you to this place and he's identified the beans right now. And, and he is inviting you in just a moment to let them go. For him, come to him. Let go of them. Come to him. Let's stand up together.
I thank you that you are alive in this place this morning. God, I thank you that you, you are not this building. You are not one of us. You are here joining with us, but you are trafficking through this place right now and you're finding our hearts. You're the same God who looked upon people, moved by compassion because they were laboring and heavy laden. And you're looking at us today and you're finding that's some of us today. And you're calling out, come, come to me, come from where you are. Come to me. If this morning you find yourself, maybe you've already identified some of the ultimate things that have come into your life. But maybe all that you're in touch with right now is fear. I'm afraid of something. Or maybe it's anger bitterness in your life. Maybe that's what you're in touch with. Jealousy. Let's start there. If you're here this morning and that's your experience, your soul contains those elements. Then here's what you need to do this morning. Matt's going to lead us in a song. I just want you to be contemplating, reflecting on the song, but asking God this question. become ultimate things that have made me become so angry what things have become ultimate things that have brought fear into my heart God what things in my life am I so terrified to not have to be without what who is it that I need to forgive because I thought they stole it from me in my past, they took what I thought was the ultimate thing I needed. You let God take you into that place. I want that to be a significant thing. So, Lord, right now, as we begin to sing and worship, minister to you, God, would you come in this place and minister to our hearts? God, would you open our lives to you? God, show us how these symptoms are revealing ultimate issues that are in the wrong place so that we might come to you even this morning, Lord. Just sing with us, but listen for God in your own heart, in your own soul, communicating to you. Jesus, I am thirsty. Won't you come and
it was a couple of ladies who had a sense of a word from the Lord for some folks that were here. And I really believe that this would be a time for some to experience some great freedom if those ladies would come quickly. Prophecy, Mike, make sure that's on, please. And and listen, as Matt shared last week, um, sometimes God in His grace, He uses these portals right here to find His way into the issues that are in our hearts. Sometimes He just gives a word to folks. And they don't really know why. They've kind of got that impression. It's kind of stuck with them. It's just God wanting to deliver some mail. So... Listen carefully to these words and let God minister to you if this applies to you. I had a picture of a person who was wrapped and circled by a snake. And the person said, My experience lately has been that every few days I experience extreme temptation, oppression, and affliction. It seems I meet a part of this serpent every few days. I heard the Spirit say, You have Christ's power to crush the head of that serpent. The weight and sin that so easily entangles you can be laid aside. Not by your power or by your might, but by trusting in my grace, moment by moment, day by day. I desire your freedom and restoration. I am for you, not against you. I am before you, in you, and behind you. There are some here today who have tasted and seen God's goodness, but yet you have made choices that has caused you to walk a different way. As a result, you are discontent and your life is left empty. There are some here today who are saying, how can God allow what is going on in my life? And as a result, you have become angry and even bitter. I believe the Lord would say to you, Today, when you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Surrender all to me. Your anger, bitterness, vain ambition, lustful heart, and the poison of your pride. I have not left you during these times. You belong to me. I will give you a new heart and put my spirit within you that will cause you to walk in my ways. You are my masterpiece, my created expression for my good works. I will be faithful to bring beauty from ashes. morning, I believe the Lord wants you to experience freedom, freedom in your soul. And so as, and this needs to be an exchange between you and the Lord. I don't believe what God simply wants you to do is confess that you're angry or confess that you're bitter. I believe what he wants you to do is he wants you to let go of the beans that's ultimately what God wants. Do you know how many Christian meetings happen where all people do is confess that they're angry? 
confess that I've sinned against this person in my anger. Well, that's great. But why did you do that? What got you so angry? What's made you so fearful? It's whatever you're clinging to. And you can try and walk out of here and say, God, I'm, I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to hurt anybody else with my anger. My, I don't want to be afraid anymore. But you're going to do it again next week. Because the issues are ultimate issues. As Matt leads us and closes the service, I, I want you to have a, a, an opportunity in your own heart to open your hand and take whatever it is that's an ultimate thing and say, God, I, I don't want these things the way I want you. You're inviting me to come. I want to come to you, God. I, I want to give you my life. I, I want to surrender. I don't want to bargain with you. I don't want to fight. I don't have an agenda that you need to fulfill. I'm not asking you to come to me. I'm coming to you. And listen, all who labor and are heavy laden. Please don't be one person in this room hesitant because, oh, you can't come somehow because your past, your issues, the difficulty. No, 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 no. All means all. You can come this morning. You can come. Lord, help us as we sing this song and close. Lord, help us right now. Open our eyes again to see, Lord. There's nothing more valuable than you. Lord, our lives were created for you. God, you are our portion. In heaven and on earth, Lord, nothing compares to you. Our soul thirsts for you. God, our heart longs for you, Lord. You are the one, ultimately, that we come to. And so, Lord, anything in the way, anything that's displaced you, Lord, we displace it this morning. We depart from this location. God, no longer am I going to live at this address. I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming this morning. I bring my life to you. I bring all the brokenness to you. God, I bring my own agendas and plans and ambitions. God, I bring them to you because my soul longs for you. And this morning, I say yes to you as my ultimate. of flesh could ever see for 
beheld the trembling joy, the sight of cow, scarlet rose, for you have captured me. shepherd of my soul. You'll carry me on your mighty wings of grace, keeping me until the day I look into your May we feel in our souls the psalmist's sentiment, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh, they fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, give us the heart that Martin Luther had when he said, God is mine, everything is mine. And cause, Lord, the noise of our busyness and our pursuits and all of our misprioritized values. Lord, cause them to be quieted as we find in you our all in all. We love you, Lord. Take us from this place with your blessing and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.